Good morning. It's Friday, October 22nd. I'm Duarte Geraldino. Shemitah Basu is off. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. The message is getting louder every day. Time is running out to combat climate change. And in Washington, Democrats are feeling the pressure. We're just a few days out from that big global climate conference taking place in Scotland. Time magazine reports on how the rest of the world is watching to see if one of President Joe Biden's key climate priorities will get passed before he gets to the summit. The domestic policy fight in Washington could influence what other big countries do or don't do about climate change. Biden's climate agenda is being potentially blocked by one senator, Joe Manchin of West Virginia. We talked about this on the show. Manchin reportedly opposes clean electricity measures that are part of the plan. And keep this point of reference in mind as you watch this story develop. What Washington does is not just symbolic. The U.S. accounts for around 13% of the world's greenhouse gas pollution. The math here is simple. It's hard for the world to make a dent in global emissions if the U.S. is not taking big steps to reduce its own. In its write-up, Time Magazine also stresses the importance of America as a technology and economic leader. If the U.S. makes progress pioneering new clean technologies, those advances could be adopted around the world. It's all about proving they can work, and the more they're developed and deployed, the cheaper they can get. The U.S. has a chance to set the pace here, but it keeps changing its tune when it comes to climate change. Across the Obama, Trump, and now Biden administrations, the U.S. entered, exited, and then re-entered the Paris Agreement. Given that history, a lot of world leaders want to know where the U.S. stands today. That's why they're so closely following what's going on in Congress. They want to see if the United States can set an environmental example for the world. During the Jim Crow era, black people in the U.S. were routinely violently targeted. Many of the attackers were never convicted or even charged. A lot of black deaths were never acknowledged as murders. Now a project led by a civil rights attorney is trying to bring truth and accountability to people and communities who were forever changed by these hate crimes. Samantha Michaels reported this story from Mother Jones magazine. She told us the story of John Earl Reese. In 1955, the 16-year-old met up with cousins at a cafe in East Texas. And they were dancing when bullets came flying through the window. He was struck by bullets and he ended up dying from the wounds. Later on, it turned out that two white men had shot through the cafe windows because they were angry that local politicians had agreed to uh, give money to upgrade a school for black children. The bullets also struck Reese's younger cousins. They survived, but witnessing his murder changed them. And even though there was plenty of evidence, including the shooter's confessions, the county listed Reese's death as an accident. The men who shot him never spent a day in prison. Reese's family, they never thought they'd see justice, but things changed when they got a call from a student in a program at Northeastern University's law school, which looks at racially motivated killings that happened between 1930 and 1970, killings that were not properly investigated. They go through court records, they go through archives, they even travel to, you know, southern towns and talk with witnesses and family members, and they try to document what actually happened And in addition to that, they talk with the surviving family members and they ask those family members how they were harmed and 
what kinds of things might be done today to help them heal and to help them grieve and to honor their memories. Michaels explains the program's mission. It's important to have an accurate record of these killings for several reasons. First of all, there are so many people across the United States who are living with very serious trauma from murders that happened decades ago. And if they are going to heal, that requires that we acknowledge what happened and that we allow, you know, their stories to actually be heard. And so without an accurate record, that's impossible. Decades later, many of these families are not going to see the perpetrators ever prosecuted or sent to jail. The program aims for what it calls restorative justice. This process asks people who have been harmed what they need to recover. Sometimes results are surprising. One of the daughters of one of the shooters found out about the project, and she ended up naming Reese's surviving family members in her will. Plus, the county changed Reese's death certificate. It now says his death was a homicide, not an accident. That's not just a big step towards acknowledging the value of this young man's life. It also helps acknowledge the type of pain his family had to deal with after his passing. You can read or listen to the full story in the Apple News app. Just tap the notification we send you midway through the show. A cinematographer is dead, a director hospitalized. Both of them were shot on a movie set with a prop gun that Alec Baldwin fired. A spokesperson for Baldwin told People magazine it was an accident, quote, involving the misfire of a prop gun with blanks. No charges have been filed. ABC News has more on this story. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins and director Joel Souza were working with Baldwin on a Western called Rust. It was being filmed in New Mexico. Production has now been halted as investigators try to figure out what exactly happened. The International Cinematographers Guild paid tribute to Hutchins, calling her death, quote, a terrible loss. Authorities said Souza, the director who was injured, was taken to a hospital for emergency care. And this morning, one of the actors from the film said that Souza had been released. And you may remember Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son. He was killed in a similar incident while making a movie in the 1990s. His sister Shannon sent a message of support to the families of Hutchins, Souza, and everyone involved. She added, quote, No one should ever be killed by a gun on a film set. This is a developing story, and you can follow it throughout the day on the Apple News app. It's part marketing campaign, part social media critique, and it involves a weird mix of fine art and the explicit website OnlyFans. Vienna's Tourism Board is now posting pictures of art there, works from the city's museums that depict nude people. The Washington Post explains how the move has roots going back a few years. Someone posted a picture of a voluptuous statue of Venus on Facebook, but the platform took it down, ruling it was pornographic. Facebook later apologized, but museums around the world, they complain that social media companies are often too quick to pull down images of art depicting nudes. The language announcing the campaign is pretty salty for a tourism board. It says there's a, quote, new wave of prudishness with famous artworks being blocked by social media guidelines. The board says this is a tech twist on an old problem. Many iconic works in Vienna's galleries, they were too sexy for censors 100 years ago. By moving to OnlyFans, museums can share all the images they wish. But the goal of the campaign is to get people visiting. To that end, 
Anyone who subscribes to Vienna's OnlyFans channel can get a free museum pass to see these provocative works in the flesh. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And check out our interview show in conversation. Saturday, I talk with Liam Vaughn about insider trading. His Bloomberg Business Week story shows just how common it seems to be and how little is being done. This is such an open secret, such a baked in part of the system. Enjoy that weekend. Listen, we'll be back with the news on Monday. Listener.